Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Off the Charts Football Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Spratt from Sports Info Solutions, and I'm joined, as always, by Aaron Schatz of Football Outsiders. Aaron, there were quite a few injuries in Week 2, and I think we're going to discuss most of them today during today's show. But I needed to start with a little bit of a confession. I kind of secretly want Jacoby Brissett to get hurt tonight because I want to I want to watch Julian Edelman play quarterback. Does that make me a terrible person? No, it doesn't make you a terrible person. It just makes you a person who, who believes what's the, the famous Chinese curse that's actually not a Chinese curse. It's probably completely apocryphal. <laughs> Uh, may you live in interesting times. Yes. Uh, that would certainly be interesting times. I was walking around the press box at Gillette on Sunday afternoon after the game going, who do they bring in? Who do you think they bring in? I was asking everybody, who on earth comes in here to be the backup? None of us thought they were actually going to go with Edelman as the backup. Like, it's a crazy thought. It would be but really interesting. I mean... Chances are, and hopefully Brissett won't get hurt, but it's just another weird thing that's going on with the Patriots. They're always very interesting. Yeah, and it's it's um, so many things about Thursday night's game is, is, are interesting. Besides just that, there's the fact that it's sort of the Patriots versus the mini-Patriots because the Houston uh, coaching staff yeah, has a bunch office, of yeah. Patriots people on it. And the fact that these two teams are... If you read the DVOA ratings article on Football Outsiders this week, among the worst-rated 2-0 teams ever. That's Both true. Of them. I saw that, and we're definitely going to hit on that topic and a few others today. But before we do that, let's get started with last week's Sunday night game. That's the one where Sam Bradford's Vikings beat the Packers 17-14. to And I wanted to start there because I think both teams were very interesting, and this could have implications for the rest of the season. Let's start with the Vikings. Aaron, in your mind, do you think Bradford's performance was impressive? Um, I ask that because 17 points, that's not really that many. It doesn't seem impressive. But given that Bradford had to pick up on a new offense after being traded with just a, a week and a half to prepare, I'm thinking the answer might be yes. What do you think? Yeah, I think when you look at the context, uh, and not just the numbers, that, that yeah, he, he, he had an impressive game. New offense, uh, not really the best receivers other than Stephon Diggs, although obviously Stephon Diggs was a large part of it. So, you know, it's nice to have that one really good receiver. Green Bay's defense is, you know, the Football Outsiders Almanac this year, Vince writes about how amazingly inconsistent from year to year that they are. And so you don't. I don't know whether having a good game against that defense is a good thing or a bad thing. Yeah, he was only 14th in uh, DYAR this this week, so it's not like it was a huge, amazingly great game. It looked impressive. I felt like the the um, I felt like that the the announcers were giving him a lot more credit. They were acting like this was like a a revelation type game. Mm-hmm. Um. By our numbers, it wasn't even as valuable as Trevor Simeon this week. And part of that is the sacks, right? Bradford took all the sacks. And, okay, Four, some of I that believe, is because yes. of that offensive line, but sacks are also partly on the quarterback. So, I mean, Bradford has always been a frustrating guy. Film watchers like Kian Fahey believe he's really, really good. And the numbers have just never borne it out. And, yeah, he's never had a great team around him. But then again, he doesn't really have a great team around him right now. Well, especially after losing Adrian Peterson, who could be done with the year with multiple knee injuries, I would have to ask whether they have enough on offense to actually be successful. Now, the Vikings are the number three team in defensive DVOA this season, 
and that's a, before we're putting adjustments, but I think even before the season, we all thought that they had a very interesting defense. But is there enough there? Is Stephon Diggs really the only major asset they have on that side of the ball? Maybe. I mean, uh, two years ago when Peterson missed most of the season, they were actually fourth in rushing. Yeah. DVLA. But, you know, part of that is just sort of the way that Peterson going out changes the opponent's scheme that, you know, they won't stack the box, so it'll be harder to pass, but easier to run. But I do think that Peterson, as great as he is, is a little overrated simply because running backs just don't change the league in the modern NFL. You've got to have the passing game. Yeah, you're completely right. Um, and so, I mean, I think losing him is bad, but it's not the most horrendous thing in the world. Losing Matt Khalil is bad, because as bad as Matt Khalil was at left tackle, he had to be better than whoever was behind him, or else whoever was behind him would have been playing instead. You'd think that, sure. And it's T.J. Clemmings, and T.J. Clemmings was not good at right tackle last year. So um, my I, that would be the scarier thing for me, would be the losing your left tackle for the rest of the season. So weirdly, I think the bigger concerns might actually be with the Packers, though. Um, and again, it's only two weeks. Again, opponent adjustments haven't been applied. So if Minnesota's defense is really good, this isn't really accounting for it. But the Packers are just 25th in offensive DVOA this season. That seems really surprising. Is there something wrong with this team, or is there something wrong with Rodgers? Yep, this is the story of the week, right? Everybody has written there, is there something wrong with Aaron Rodgers articles this week? And we are no exception. Scott Kazmar has written one that will be on ESPN Insider, I think, on Friday. And there's no question that the numbers are down, right? So he's below 60% completions in nine of his last 13 games. He has a total minus 10 passing DYAR in his last 14 games. Compare that to 2014, where over the season he had 1,560. (laughs) That's a QAR. Slightly different, yes. And his yards per attempt were 8.2 through most of his career. And then in the last 14 games, it's 6.0, which is terrifyingly close to the lowest mark in NFL history for a career, which is Joey Harrington at 5.8. And again, this is one where film and numbers do seem to disagree. Film suggests that Rodgers is uh, that Rogers is still a really great quarterback and makes really great plays, and he's let down by his receivers. Who it's not you know it's not drops. They actually had a low drop rate last year, but it's you know not winning at the catch point. It's not running good routes and allowing passes to be defensed. I mean, there's ways that receivers can make mistakes that are not flat out drops. That being said, I think that when, when you watch the film and you see the impressive things he does, uh, what we're missing there is the unimpressive plays and that maybe he's pressing too hard on the other players, trying to do too much, and therefore, you know, in making mistakes and not connecting on the deep passes and, and you know, not hitting the right receivers. Or, but, you know, I think for people who blame the offensive scheme and the receivers, I think there's a lot to that, too. And I wonder whether the offensive line might be a major factor. So far this season, the Rodgers has been under pressure 17.9% of his dropbacks. That's the eighth most in football. He may make exceptional plays, but if he's put in situations where he has to make those plays all the time, that's got to be a problem. Yeah, although it is the uh, it is the same offensive line for the most part as last year, except for, I believe, having J.C. Treader instead of uh, Corey Lindsley. 
Now, that line last year had the same problem. They were 29th in pressure rate. And by the way, I'll point out to everybody listening that these stats are now available on Football Outsiders as part of the premium charting data subscription for $25 for the season. We actually now have not only all of your 2015 stats, but the 2016 charting that Sports Info Solutions has done updated through week two. So yeah, pressure rate has been a problem for the Packers over the last couple of years. But I don't think it was any more a problem in the second half of last year than it was in the first half of last year. So it's part of it, but it's not the whole thing. So basically, so, Rodgers was pre-slump for part of the problems of the offensive line, but has been slumping too. So who knows? Yeah, maybe, it's kind of a combination something. of yeah. everything. But Rodgers is only part of it, but he is part of it. Gotcha. Okay, let's shift gears a little bit and talk about two teams that surprised me, at least, to be in the top 10 in DVOA after two weeks. And there are actually a couple more, but teams like the Eagles we've talked about previously. But Detroit and San Diego are sixth and seventh in total DVOA, and in particular, they're third and second in offensive DVOA. So, Aaron, do you think either of these teams could be a real contender this season? And let's start with the Lions. Well, I'll tell you one thing about both of these teams. Sure. We had both of them in wild card contention in our preseason projections. Expected San Diego to bounce back from last year's terrible season. And they share something in common, which is that both of these divisions have very easy schedules for all of their teams. I was going to ask you that specifically about the Lions because the rest of season schedule seems really easy. So they play at the Packers this week, which could be tough, obviously. But then at the Bears, hosting the Eagles, Rams, Redskins. At the Texans, at the Vikings, hosting the Jaguars, Vikings, at the Saints, hosting the Bears, at the Giants, at the Cowboys, and hosting the Packers. So obviously, if, if the Vikings and Packers are good in their own division, that's you know a challenge. But the out-of-division games are just extremely easy. Does Football Outsiders have their strength of schedule rated just really easy, too? Yeah, it was one of the easiest in the league going into the season. It's because AFC South. I mean... The NFC East looks now like it's harder than we thought it was going to be, right? We thought Washington was going to decline, so that's not a shock. Philadelphia certainly looks like they're better than we thought. Mm-hmm. The Giants may be a little bit better than we thought. Um, and Detroit has to play the Cowboys late in the year when either Tony Romo will be back or Dak Prescott will have more experience. Sure, But that schedule for both of these teams, for all the teams in their divisions, so the biggest, you know, the biggest thing standing in the way of Detroit would be Minnesota and Green Bay. <laughs> so for Detroit, as just in terms of their actual ability on the field, has their offense become a little bit more effective because of, I don't know, balance maybe? You know, they've been using multiple running backs. They've been throwing to different receivers. Uh, but more effective than it was when they just ran everything through Calvin Johnson? Was that maybe a bad strategy? Well, the change actually happened in the middle of last year when they changed offensive coordinators to Jim Bob Cooter, and he started to really emphasize the players who could get yards after the catch. And, of course, Golden Tate may be the best receiver in the league when it comes to yards after the catch and broken tackles, particularly broken tackles. Uh, You know, he doesn't catch as many short passes as some guys like Edelman or or Tavon Austin, so his uh, yards after the catch average may not be quite as high, but what he gets for, for what he catches is really good. And Marvin Jones has been really good for them through two games, uh, although I still don't think he's like a you know tip-top-of-the-league receiver, but he's a pretty good guy. So it's not like they went from Calvin Johnson to nothing. Sure. And to your point about Tate, the entire team has broken 26 tackles so far this season. So that's a broken tackle for every 18.4% off, um, percent of their offensive plays. That's the best in football. So it may not just be Tate. It may be, you know, theoretic. It may be everybody on this, on this roster. 
Right. What's interesting now is Amir Abdullah being injured and going on IR. Yes. Because Riddick has been so good as a receiving back, but his rushing numbers historically are awful. And so can you depend on him as your number one back and run him, or do you really have to depend on the rookie, Dwayne Washington, or Zach Zenner, the Division One AA kid who didn't really play last year? I mean, can Riddick run? We know Riddick can receive, but, you know, it's Trent Richardson was actually pretty good as a receiver for all a terrible running back that he was in the NFL. So, you know, being a good receiving back doesn't make you a good running back. And Riddick seems pretty small to, to get that kind of extreme workload. Right. I mean, that's the thing is Zenner is a bigger guy, and I think Washington's a bigger guy. So we'll have to see if they can sort of figure that out without Abdullah for at least, I guess, the next 10 weeks. Um, another point that I wanted to bring up here is that we were talking about how Rodgers was under pressure a lot. So far this season, Stafford has been under pressure even a little bit more with 18.2% of his dropbacks. Again, opponents could potentially have something to do with that, but that's, I think, a reason that you might be concerned that Detroit could have trouble on offense, even though they haven't so far this season. Yeah, they do have a rookie uh, rookie uh, left tackle. So, uh, you know, it takes time to learn. For sure. All right, then let's talk a little bit about San Diego. Um, you know, I don't, I don't really know what to make of the fact that they beat the Jaguars so handily last week. The Jaguars were are 28th in DVOA for the season, but they were 12th in the preseason projected DVOA um, defensive standings. So I don't know. Do you think that the Chargers beat a bad Jaguars team, or maybe they had an impressive win against a Jaguars team that might not be terrible? I think it's more likely they beat a bad Jaguars team. I mean, we thought that their defense was going to improve, but their offense would decline. And obviously their offense has not played that well this year. And last year, even Jacksonville built its impressive conventional offensive numbers primarily on, you know, like garbage time. They were behind, you know, so uh, as far as the defense goes, we keep waiting for it to happen. It's just not happening. And uh, they didn't even put Miles Jack on the field in the first week, which is just weird. Why you take a guy in the second round who specifically falls in the draft because, <clears throat> not because of what people think he's going to do now, but because whether people think he'll be healthy a few years from now. Sure. sure. And, and then you don't play him. And even in the second week, they only played him something like 30% of snaps. So, so I don't know what's going on with the Jacksonville defense. I think it's more likely that the San Diego offense is impressive because, one, guess what? Phillip Rivers is really good and always has been. <laughs> and, two, the offensive line has had so many injuries for the last two years. And it is much more stable now, whether that continues for all 16 games, I don't know. But right now, it is certainly much more stable. I know we're trying to talk about the Chargers, but the Jaguars make this so hard to figure out because they've played the Packers and the Chargers, two teams who may not be the quality of teams that we expected them to be. But of interest, the Jaguars have generated pressure on 22.4% of their opponents' dropbacks, second most in football. A lot of that came against the Packers, and maybe they're having offensive line problems. But you're right, maybe the Chargers have solidified their offensive line and, and could actually handle the Jaguars, who may have an impressive front. I'm just not sure. That, that, I think we'll need to right. see. That's the problem with uh, doing any of this early in the season, yeah, trying sure. to figure out what means something. So, I mean, the thing that we definitely can, I think, suss out a little bit is whether the Chargers have suffered too many injuries already to be competitive long-term, namely losing Keenan Allen and Danny Woodhead on offense. Is that going to just hamstring them, even though Rivers is, is a good quarterback? Uh, I don't think it ends the season, but it sure doesn't help. I would. I feel. I don't feel as good about them as I did 
two weeks ago, despite the fact that they've won the two games, because those are two pretty important players. And, you know, Keenan Allen, they, they've got some good stuff out of this, this kid, Tyrell Williams, and they've got Travis Benjamin, but Keenan Allen is the possession stud, you know, the Larry Fitzgerald quality type guy. And that's a big loss. And Woodhead is very different from Melvin Gordon. I mean, Melvin Gordon is better this year because there was almost no way he was going to be as bad as he right. was last year for two straight years. And also offensive line healthy, but he's not the weapon in the passing game that Woodhead is. And so that there needs to be a weapon in the passing game to replace Woodhead. And I don't know who that is. Well, they brought in the receiving back from formerly from Tennessee. I'm trying to remember what his name is. Oh, it's Dexter McCluster. Dexter McCluster. Dexter McCluster is probably not um, Danny Woodhead. Yeah, he is a really destitute man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we'll have to see how the how the Chargers can handle those problems going forward. But at least he's a destitute so man's Tavon Austin. Wow, that's more than he like is a destitute right man's now. Danny Woodhead because he's more <laughs> of a receiver than he is a running back. Right, he played wide receiver yeah. for a little while. That's true, and then they switched him back. So true. Huh. Okay, so I think we'll have a lot more to say about those teams in the future, uh, maybe with a couple of more games under their belt when we can figure this stuff out a little bit better. But we talked earlier in the show about some interesting things that were going on with DVOA through two weeks. And let's circle back to this. And, and Aaron, a lot of this stuff is covered in the updated DVOA rankings article that you wrote earlier this week. And everyone listening to this podcast needs to check out that article every week. Um, but let's let's hit on a couple of those interesting topics, starting with the Eagles, who we talked about last week on the podcast, but they still lead the league in DVOA. And you had some pretty interesting stuff to say about teams that led the league in DVOA after two weeks and what that might mean for the Eagles going the rest of the way. Right. Now, I will point out, of course, first of all, that for those who don't know, we do not incorporate opponent adjustments until after week four because we don't have enough... Uh, we, we don't have enough... Um, you know, data to really yeah, you just don't know yet. So this doesn't account for the fact that they played uh high. <laughs> you know, they they played um the Browns for one. Right. They played the Browns and the Bears. And the Browns and the Bears are not good teams. Uh or we don't think they are. And the Bears were very hurt, but yes. So Philadelphia is the number one team right now. But they are the worst number one team ever after two weeks. <laughs> so they are normally where a team would be ranked fourth or fifth at this point. Now, is that impressive given how the Eagles played last year and what our projections for the Eagles were before the season? Hell yeah, that's impressive. <laughs> and, and I mean, I think everybody's blowing just a little sun too much sunshine up Carson Wentz's behind, but he's playing well. That being said, <clears throat> I believe I ran numbers that said something like the last 13 teams to rank number one after two weeks averaged 12 and a half wins and all made the playoffs. But those teams were all better than the Eagles at the time. Sure. Uh, if you look at teams that are roughly where the Eagles are, around 35% after two weeks, you get a mix of teams that are really good and a mix of teams where... They just had a couple of nice early wins against bad opponents and then fell off. The Miami Dolphins were 2-0 after two weeks in 2013 and eventually finished 22nd in DBOA. The Buffalo Bills were 2-0 in 2011 and eventually finished 23rd. The 1999 Patriots, the last year of the Pete Carroll era, 
the 2004 Detroit Lions. On the other hand, the 2011 Packers were about where the Eagles are right now, and that team eventually finished number one in the league and went 15-1. and one. So, you know, this could be a really nice thing. And there are teams that were as poor as the Eagles last year and then bounced back and showed with their early success that they were a much better team than they were the year before. Uh, the 2011 Lions, who won the wild card, were like that. They were 18th uh, the year before, and then when they went 2-0 in their first couple games, that was a, a good sign of the fact that they were better. The 2010 Bucks, who finished 10-6, and were 27th in DVOA the year before. And when they were third after two weeks in 2010, that was a good sign that they were better, and they ended up finishing uh, 12th in the league in DVOA and went 10-6, and six, although they missed the playoffs because uh, that was one of those years where the NFC, you know, the, division, the divisions were all really skewed. So, uh, you know, it could be a sign that things are better, but it's also possible that things were only a little bit better. And not as much better as it looks so far. Yeah, I mean, the, the Eagles follow that same theme of today's show that the Chargers and the Lions did, which is we just don't know because of the opponents they've faced so far. We just don't really know yet. And right. I, My guess is that if we included opponent adjustments based on how well Chicago and Cleveland will be for the whole year, that they would be more like fifth or sixth right now. And that is two nice games, but not this team's going to dominate the league all year. Sure. And Wentz has been pressured on just 6.4% of his dropbacks. Second best in football, but, you know, let's face teams that can get a little bit more pressure on them and see what happens. That kind yeah, of runs not off really known numbers. for their pass rush in Cleveland. The, the more interesting thing maybe is that all of the teams are really sort of crunched up in DVOA right now. And that, I think that's kind of tied into what you just said about the Eagles being the worst number one team in DVOA through two weeks. But there are just a lot of teams that are sort of near the middle. Uh, do you think that's uh, related to the parity in the league as a whole, or is this just a quirk through two weeks that's happening this season? I think I, the, I think it's related to all the close games. The question is, are all of the close games uh, are all the close games related to the parity in the league? Yeah, right. Because whatever is causing all these close games is what's causing DVOA to be this close. And I'll point out that, that not only is, is Philadelphia the worst number one team after two weeks ever, but Cleveland is the best last place team after two weeks ever. There you go. Congrats, Cleveland. Yeah. Uh, and last year, but here's the interesting thing. Last year, DVOA was also really tight all year. If you remember me talking about last year was a weird year where it was one of the very rare years where the best defense and worst defense were stronger than the best offense and worst uh, and worst offense. Yeah, I remember talking about that with the, the Broncos specifically, yes. It's a strange, you know, I don't know. It's causing all these close games, and I don't know if it's parity. I don't know if it's just a, sort of the random uh, cycling of the league or if it's sort of a permanent change, but there's no question things have been really close this year, and that also is resulting in you know, two and O teams that DVOA says aren't really that good, and and uh, one and one teams that DVOA thinks are really good. There there are no O and two teams that DVOA thinks are really good, but there are one and one teams. You know, we have two one and one teams ranked second and third: Arizona and Carolina. Yeah, let's spend a quick minute talking about those three two and O teams that have negative DVOAs this season before we wrap up the show. Just get your sort of quick hits on what you think about them and, and why they are negative DVOA despite the records. 
Starting with the Giants, I think I know the answer to this one because they've won two games over Dallas and New Orleans who are not sure are that good, and they've won them by three points or fewer. Is that sort of what's going on here with the Giants? Right. I mean, how good those teams are doesn't matter because there's no opponent adjustments yet, but what matters is that those games were virtually ties and that DVOA had those games kind of as virtually ties. And so the fact that they're a little bit below zero is not really that strange. Um, the New Orleans game was basically even. The Dallas game, DVOA actually gave Dallas a better rating, mostly on special teams. And what happens with these games when the you know when our rating disagrees with the who won or lost is you have to go in and figure out why. And sometimes it's because of you know yards per play, and sometimes it's because of third downs, and sometimes it's because of turnovers, and sometimes it's yeah. special teams. And I mean they work out in weird ways, but you know DVOA what what. Even if you can't quite tell what DVOA is trying is, is measuring, it tends to, you know, it tends to work out over the course of the season. I mean, a good example of this is last year when we had a game between Kansas City and Minnesota that Minnesota won and Kansas City had a much, much higher rating for. And then Kansas City went on an 11-game winning streak. So I think <laughs> it was measuring something. I figured it out, yeah. There. <laughs> but the Giants aren't really, like, bad. They're just really kind of a... Have they been average so far? And they've squeaked out two wins. Yeah. All right. The Patriots, they're 23rd in DVOA despite being 2-0. and I'm sure they're probably thrilled with that considering they don't even have Tom Brady yet. But I think there's been a couple of weird things that have happened with the team that's sort of resulted in that disparity. Yeah. Absurd conversion rate on third downs. Absurd. 57% conversion on third downs despite needing an average of 8.7 yards to convert. That is like insane and is simply not sustainable. It's not even sustainable if your quarterback is Tom Brady. Well, that's how Jimmy Garoppolo is going to get paid in a couple of years, right? <laughs> Absolutely. He's going to get paid by some team that doesn't understand sample size. Exactly. Um, I think the long-term concern for the Patriots is that they only have the number 29 DVOA defense so far. But again, early, no opponent adjustments. I guess we'll just have to Yeah, see. but I mean, are you really thinking that eventually the Miami offense is going to come out as, woo, that's hard? Oh, maybe not, but maybe the Cardinals. I guess we'll the just Cardinals have to see. Will. Right. Now, of course, it's a long-term concern. I mean, they gave up. They were letting Miami just move on them so easy in the second half of the game. And there's certainly some argument to be made that once the quarterback change took place, there was less time of position, possession. Maybe the defense was getting more tired. But, you know, I think that that is an issue that is a small one that tends to be used as an explanation for big changes when it should be used as an explanation for small changes. What happened to the Patriots in the second half of that game was not that suddenly the defense was on the field all the time because it started at the beginning of the second half that they were letting Miami pass all over them and they weren't tired yet at that point. They had been resting all halftime. The good news for the Patriots is that that number 29 defense gets to face, on Thursday night, the number 30 offense. <laughs> exactly. Actually, seeing that happen with the Patriots, it reminded me a lot of the Panthers down the stretch and into the playoffs last year, going up big and then letting it all go, basically, in the second half. And I do have to wonder whether you know the team's mentality has something to do with it when they get up you know, three or, or scores or whatever it is, and it changes the way they, they approach things on defense, usually to yeah, their detriment. You know what? I suppose, but once that lead has been whittled down from four scores to two, it's time to change the mentality. I agree. It just it seems to happen that way. I don't know what else to say. And the other thing is that the Panthers, when the Panthers were doing that, 
they had a whole season of games that showed that they could play defense hardcore for 60 minutes. Excellent point. So, yes. Yeah, they did that a little bit at the end of the season in a couple of games, and the Seahawks did too, of course. Yeah. But those teams also had games that showed they could play really good defense all game long. The Patriots don't have those games on the resume yet. Okay, the last 2-0 team with a negative DVOA, coincidentally, is the Texans, who are 25th in the DVOA. So we may learn a little bit more about them tonight. But there's a big split in the Texans that I think matches what everyone would have expected, which is that they're 6th in defensive DVOA, but 30th in offensive DVOA, and in fact 30th in special teams. Is that just sort of who they are this year? Man, they've been awful in special teams forever. Kind of like the Patriots have been good in special teams forever. Like, did Bill O'Brien just not learn that from Belichick? I don't know. I mean, it goes back before O'Brien. Right, yeah. You know, that could be the, like, hidden thing that leads the Patriots to victory on Thursday night. But, I mean, otherwise, that's what we expected. I think the offense is, you know, the offense looks good when you connect with Fuller and Hopkins. But when you don't connect with Fuller and Hopkins, you're taking sacks and you're throwing the ball away and you're not connecting with any other receivers. And so that's, or, or throwing picks, you know, there's all these things happening that have nothing to do with Fuller and Hopkins. And so, uh, you know, I think that, that, that that's part of why the Houston offense is, you know, Houston fans, I think feel like there's this, like uh, there's this hope for their offense, but, but the DVOA suggests that it's still really awful. And by the way, like the Patriots, they have been much better on third down than on first or second, but not to anywhere near the same extent. So the success rate of the Houston offense, you know, how often they meet our guideline for success based on the down and distance, is 26% on first down, where they're averaging only 4.1 yards. 39% on second down and 47% on third down. So like the Patriots, they are getting themselves out of some third down situations that are tricky, but they're nowhere near as successful at it as the Patriots, and the third downs that they're facing are nowhere near as difficult as the ones that Garoppolo was able to convert. Of course, Garoppolo, probably not in the game tonight. One would think, although the Patriots are doing Patriots things, and I think he's, he's dressing at least, so we'll see. But, Aaron, I think that pretty much wraps everything up for this podcast. So I encourage everyone to enjoy their Week 3 games and definitely check out Football Outsiders, that new premium uh, data subscription, which just has all the charting data that Sports Info Solutions is gathering. That's some really interesting stuff, guys. And we just touched on a a small portion of what it covers today. So check it out on footballoutsiders.com. I'll actually give everybody a little bonus before we go, uh, just to sort of whet your appetite for the kind of things that are available in the – charting is uh the defenders who are leading the league in broken tackles are Dion jones of atlanta the rookie linebacker and sean davis uh this i believe he's a safety from pittsburgh those guys each have six broken tackles and then five broken tackles for co moore mante teo sean williams ken crawley and byron maxwell who I may remember LeGarrette Blunt hurtling yeah. him for the rest of my life. That was that was pretty incredible. <laughs> and this is just some of the awesome data that you will find in the premium charting data subscription on Football Outsiders, powered by Sports Info Solutions, $25 for the whole year. So check that out, and we hope you check us out again next week, same time, same podcast. So have a good week three, everybody.